Nima David Gibson is going to be preaching from uh, James chapter 4 uh, this morning. So if you could turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4, uh, we're going to pick up the reading uh, at verse 11. And I'm going to read through to chapter 5, verse 12. James writes these words, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a, t- a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days, but the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let me pray for us before David comes and speaks to us again. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we want to pray, please, that you would give us humble hearts this morning. We pray that you would give us the humility we need to listen to your word as it comes to us. Give us the humility we need uh, to recognize where we are in error and where we have offended you or hurt other people. 
please give us the humility to respond to your word by uh, asking for forgiveness and seeking to change. Father, we pray, please, that you would grant David clarity, accuracy, sensitivity, and power. And we just pray, please, that uh, as he speaks, we might hear your voice, and we pray that we might be changed by it for our good and your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Lee. Um, that was wonderful to see that Sam, wasn't it? I hope, I, hope, um, I hope yesterday's material and what we're going to see today about the theme of wholeness in James, I hope once you see that, once you see that in the book of James, you realize how so many of the criticisms of James as being odd and, you know, the, the words that I gave you yesterday about James being the least Christian book in the Bible James, James just is the whole, whole Bible in a book, isn't it? What, what is the story of the whole Bible from start to end? What does Jesus say the greatest commandment is? To love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. The story of the Bible is one heart for God, and what goes wrong when there is not one heart for God? The, it's the story of Israel, their hearts divided, going after other gods. It's our story. Uh, oneness is, is the theme of the Bible. Christopher Ashe has a Bible overview, overview book. Um, I've just t- forgotten the name of it. Um, th- that he, he says the whole, he does a Bible overview, the whole theme being scattering and gathering. God's aim is to gather together, and the story of the Bible is it goes wrong, and so God scatters, and then he begins to bring people back together again. Um, you, you, you see oneness everywhere, the Psalms, one thing I seek to be in your house, O Lord. What does Jesus say about Mary and Martha? One thing is necessary. Um, so I, I hope just that simple lens as you look at the book yourselves, as you study it and read it, um, I hope it begins to let, you, let us hang the theme of James off that simple simple thing that I think is at the heart of it. We're going to look at the passage that Lee uh, read for us. I'm going to leave out this morning, I'm going to say a little bit about it, but I'm going to leave out verses five, chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, and I'm going to, that's going to be the final session uh, today. We're going to look at that in detail um, in that session, but I'm going to try and give us an overview of this um, final part of the book. And I want, to be, I want to begin by doing that, by asking you this morning, what do you hate Broccoli, being cold, being hot, working nights, snow, wind, heights, mushrooms, the last day of camp, the end of the holidays, mushy peas, tax returns, choosing the wrong queue in the supermarket. What do you hate? Take, take it up a level. Your car left damaged in the supermarket parking lot with nobody in sight. Rising energy costs, council tax bills, the value of your pension pot, getting old, still working at 65. Take it up another level. What do you hate? Sexual abuse, child abuse, Racism, abortion, discrimination, injustice. 
Oh, we hate it, don't we, when things are unfair. We hate injustice. We hate death. The good dying young from cancer and the wicked living long into happy old age. Spread all of those things out, friends, all those things I've given us from broccoli through to death, spread them out across the spectrum. You and I have a catalog of hates, don't we? And none of them, none of them, not one of those things I gave us comes close to the thing that God hates most. What does God hate most? Pride. Pride. We we know, don't we, that God hates sin. We know that He hates evil. But God's hatred of pride is everywhere in the Bible. God's hatred for pride is pure. God's hatred for pride is holy. It burns with white-hot intensity. God hates pride. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 Again, no accident, wisdom, literature, and James. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. Number one, haughty eyes. Haughty eyes is literally a pair of raised eyes, rising eyes. We talk about raised eyebrows, don't we, for surprise. The Bible talks about raised eyes for pride. In other words, they are exalted eyes. They're they're the eyes of the pompous Assyrian invader, the proud king who rolls into town and crushes and destroys God's people. He is raised up and other people are down here and he has raised himself up to here. And it is no little thing when the creature rises up to where only the creator belongs. God hates it. I wonder, if you, I wonder if you know the, the, the words of Derek Kidner. I years ago discovered this quote, and I, it, I just take it around with me. I think people in Trinity know it inside out. I give it to them all the time. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. Uh, I think it's in a, a, um, his Tyndale commentary on the Psalms, Psalm 73, I think it is, or it's in that volume. Psalm, he's got two volumes, hasn't he? Psalm 73 onwards. Somewhere in there, Derek Kidner says this. The nerve that the serpent touched in Eden, this was the nerve that the serpent touched in Eden to make even paradise appear an insult. Isn't that amazing? That's what Satan managed to do in Eden to Eve. He managed to make even paradise appear to Adam and Eve an insult. This, Lord... This is all you're giving us? This is it? I'm going to take from that tree, the one tree you said not to. I'm going to take from that. I know you've given us all these trees, everything around us to eat, but you're going to withhold that from me? No, no, no. How dare you? Amos chapter 6, here is what I abhor, says the Lord, the pride of Jacob the pride of Jacob. I abhor it. I hate it. And here we are in James chapter 4 this morning. And James is telling us here in what we're about to look at that pride is such a big deal, something God hates so much that we need to destroy it before it destroys us. And we need to run from it in all its forms. 
Look at chapter 4, verse 6. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we're all very good with abstract ideas, aren't we? Big, we, we like big concepts, and we like keeping them at arm's length. So, James says to us, don't be proud. God opposes the proud. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And we sit here and we think, okay, be humble. I've got it. Thank you very much, James. That was a good sermon. Look forward to next week's sermon. But we've been learning, haven't we, in this letter, James isn't the kind of writer that lets you away with that. He won't let me do that for you this morning. So I think James is a little bit like having a member of the welcome team uh, in your church at the door as you leave. And welcome teams, you're trying to encourage your welcome team, aren't you, to be ever so polite with all the newcomers. But imagine this morning as you're leaving here, and it's somebody like Hazel, she's so organized, so efficient, she's not going to let you off lightly, is she? Uh, somebody says to you going out the door, so tell me, tell me, what are you going to do today to be humble? It was a great session we just had, wasn't it? What, what are you going to do to be humble? And, you, you know, you're sort of, well, look, I'm kind of new here. It's a bit intense. I'm just trying to get a coffee. No, tell me, what, what are you going to change? And they kind of pin you to the coffee table, just smiling at you ever so forcefully. That's James. For, for look what he does here. Chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And just as you want to sort of say, okay, very nice, and put that in that back burner, what he does now in the rest of the letter is he says, let me help you with verse 10. I'm going to give you four examples of how to not be humble. Okay, here are four ways you could just sail straight out the door this morning and ignore, ignore the command in verse 10. Four things you could do to not be humble. Number one, verse 11, you could leave here and speak evil against one another. Verse 13, you could leave here and plan presumptuously for the rest of your days. Chapter 5, verse 1, you could leave here and get rich foolishly. And chapter 5, verse 7, you could leave here and suffer impatiently. Okay? That's how I think the remainder of this letter works. Chapter 4, verse 10 is the key verse. Humble yourself. And now here is what that looks like in four snapshots. Speech. Verses 11 to 12 of chapter 4, planning, verses 13, to 16, verses 13 to 17 of chapter 4, wealth, chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, and suffering, verses 13 down to 20. Now, if you just look at that section, verses 7 down to 20, if you're using the ESV like I am, there is a heading, patience in suffering, and then you have the prayer of faith. Now, Dan is going to be dealing with those uh, wonderfully. He's going to be dealing with those tricky verses 
uh, at the end of the letter. But w one thing I think I'd like to say is that I think that's a mistake to have that heading there, the prayer of faith, because look at verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? The, the heading over verse 7 is correct, patience and suffering. Actually, 7 down to 20 is all about suffering. I think we would be helped by actually putting those verses all together. I'll say a little bit more about that if we've got, we've got a bit of time. Suffer badly, suffer impatiently, and you will not be humble. But learn to suffer well and you will be humble. Learn to handle your riches well and you will be humble. Learn to handle your diary well and you will be humble. Learn to handle your speech and you will be well. See, friends, James is so… He, here is why it is a practical letter. It is so direct, so earthy. We cannot just leave all this talk hanging in the ether, can we? Change the way you think about your mouth. Change the way you think about your diary. Change the way you think about your money. You want to be humble, James says. Stop thinking you can control tomorrow. You want to stop having rising eyes, then stop evil speech. Stop sticking your money in the wrong kind of bank. Stop suffering impatiently. See, friends, the, the, the humility that we're after here will take real concrete form in the words you're about to speak to one another over coffee, and real concrete form when you get behind the wheel of your car, and when you get out your calendar, when you check your bank balance later today over lunch and online banking. That is where humility lives, in those moments. And when you grumble about what is happening to you in your suffering. So when, when we looked at this at Trinity, what I, and, and in the, the, the book that I'm trying to put together, each of these things is a standalone. We, we slowed down at this point uh, in James. Some, some of you may produce um, sermon outline, you know, uh, not, not sermon outlines, like calendars for the term. You've, you've got your, you, you're able to look at a Bible book and map it right the way through to Easter, and you've put this passage beside this date. I used to do that, and then I discovered that a, no, nobody else in the church cared less about it apart from me. I was the only one who, who bothered. I used to sort of think everybody would be in the morning getting out their church. Oh, we've got James chapter 3 today. Can't wait to get to church. And, um, it's more like they get there and they think, oh, we're doing James? Yeah, okay. Um, so I stopped doing that. And, and uh, one thing that I began to discover is that I just don't know how to preach a book until I'm preaching it, and I certainly don't know how to preach a book until I've finished preaching it, and that's when you want to go back to the beginning and do it, do it all over again, isn't it? I find when we got to here, when I saw how verse 10 functions in chapter 4, that I actually wanted to just press pause and to go slowly. So we had one sermon on verses 11 to 12, which is what I'm about to give you now, one sermon on 13 to 15, one on the rich, and then I think I actually did two on suffering, verses 7 to 12 and 1, and then those, those last verses. I think it works like that, to go slow um, and to have a look at it. So we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. It is two verses and only four sentences, but oh, the riches in here. Oh, the challenge. So I want to give us three things not to do. You see the not in verse 11, do not speak evil. I want to give us three things not to do. I want to, I want to show you what's happening in these verses. And then I want to try and just take time to apply it to us again. Chapter 3, 1 to 12 is all about the tongue 
And James just doesn't finish there. He goes back to, you know, chapter 3 follows on from chapter 1, doesn't it? Be slow to, slow to speak, quick to listen. He comes back to it, chapter 3, and you, you're kind of battered around the, the head by James, and you think, right, we can leave that. And he comes back to it again in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. So we're coming back to it because we need help, don't we? We need time to change and angles on our words to help us change. And God's patience with us is so great. So here's, here's the three things to see. Number one, do not speak against one another. Simply what verse 11 says, isn't it? Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. You see, pride is all about posture, isn't it? Haughtiness is highness. And humility is lowness. See it in verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord. You you can see the posture in the verse. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. And when we are not humble in our relationships, it is because our posture is wrong. Do not speak against. That, That is a posture word, isn't it? And one of the ways to measure how humble you are is to count how many people you are against in your words. How often you speak against someone. Proverbs chapter 6, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. Number one, haughty eyes. Do you know what's number two? A lying tongue. A lying tongue. It's no accident that one follows the other. Pride of the eyes leads to deceit of the tongue, doesn't it? It's exactly why James says, humble yourself by not speaking evil. For pride in the divided heart will come out in the evil of divided words. If you speak against someone, are you one with them? No. You're divided from them. You're against them. That phrase in verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, the the word evil actually isn't in the original. It is just literally, do not speak against one another. And of course, that can take so many different forms. We can speak against one another in a way that is evil in the way that we're doing it. We say things that are untrue or unkind, and so those untrue things are against someone. But don't we, don't, don't we know, friends, it is just as easy to speak true things about someone that is also against someone? You were thinking yesterday about gossip, where we? Ha- ha- have you heard such and such about so-and-so? And maybe every word in what is said is true. It's not, it's not false. And yet it is against them. You can speak evil by speaking the truth because it's just truth you should be keeping to yourself. doesn't need to be said. Your, your true words are actually pushing against somebody, against a brother. There are lots of ways we can do this. Numbers 21, the people of Israel spoke against God and against Moses. So you can speak against someone when you question legitimate authority over you. You can speak evil when you slander someone or when you flatter someone. 
Do you know the difference between slander and flattery? Slander is saying behind somebody's back what we would never say to their face. And flattery is saying to someone's face what we would never say behind their back. And James says, well, verse 11, look what word he uses here at the end of the verse, brothers. Brother, what, what is a family for? Family is for arms linked, isn't it? Arms locked together. The family word is beside or around or for or with, not against. Dear friends, not against. Not, not here today, not in your church, not in my church. Do not speak against one another. Here's the second point, number two. Do not speak above the law. Do not speak above the law. Look how James builds on this. The, you, you, the, the, the brother that you are speaking about, here's the heart of it. The brother you are speaking against, James says you need to know is not the only person you are speaking against when you speak against them. Look how it works. The one who speaks against a brother or ju judges his brother... Okay, speaks evil, not just against them, but against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. I'm the eldest of our, in our family, two younger brothers. And so I never had the privilege of knowing what it would be like in school to have a big brother in school. You imagine that, you're being picked on, picked on by your mates in primary three, and they have no idea that you have a big brother in primary seven. And eventually, that delicious moment comes where you get to say to the school bullies, if you're against me, then you're also against him. Look at the size of him. And you don't want to go up against him. See, James is saying it's like that for every person you speak against. You've forgotten that standing in the background attached to them is somebody else. And if you're against this person, you're also against that other thing. What is it? What is, what, what is it if you're against your brother? You're also against the law. Do you know what James means by this? So this is so hard-hitting, friends. Look back at chapter 2, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. See, that is what James means by the word law in chapter 4. He means that what Dan was telling us yesterday, the royal law, chapter 2, verse 8. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. And if you are speaking evil of your neighbor and against your neighbor, you are against the law. You're saying God's good law that I should love you is evil. It's what you're doing. Yeah, I know God says I should love you, but I want to be against you. You're speaking evil against the law. And, and look, says James, your posture problems are really, really bad here. If you speak evil against the law, you are judging the law. See what's happening? You have elevated yourself above the law. Years and years ago, a long time ago now, I was... Um, on the Upper Newton Arch Road, I don't know if it's still like this, the, the road linking Dundonald and uh, Stormont, uh, the carriage. I was driving with a friend. I was in the passenger seat. He was, in the, uh, he was the driver. And I pointed out to him, I don't know what the speed limit is now, but I pointed out to him he was doing 40 and a 30. I think I did it nicely, not in a 
self-righteous way as if I'd never done that myself, but just so he didn't get caught, you know, I said, look, I think this is, I think you're over the speed limit here. And he said to me, he said, I know, I do it every single day, I do it all the time. And if I get stopped by the police, I plan to tell them that this stretch of road really should be a 40 mile an hour zone. <laughs> he says, crazy, of course it should be 40. They've got to make that change. And I just thought, well, <laughs> good luck. You, you, you can't judge the law, can you? You just have to do the law. And look how James puts it. Do you see how this is a posture issue? If you judge the law, you're not a doer but a judge. Where does the judge sit in a courtroom? Up high, above you. What happens when the judge enters the room? All stand, please. The law is above you and you are beneath it. Brothers and sisters, have you ever realized that when you slander or gossip, or demean, or lie, or, or sow dissension in a church family, that you are putting yourself against your brother and putting yourself above God's law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, I know, but look, if I ever get stopped by God, I plan to tell him that particular neighbor is a stretch too far. Really, says James, do you know what you're doing? Do do not speak above the law of love. For, look at number three. Here's the third thing. Do not speak above God. Do not speak above God. Do not speak against your brother. Now, number three, do not speak above God. Do not speak against the law. Do not speak above God. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? It's really simple, isn't it? If God says, love your neighbor as yourself, he has the right to say it and the right to say that it is good for me to love my neighbor as myself and for them to receive that love from me. Who on earth am I to say, no thanks, you take a seat, your honor, I'll decide who I love. Who am I to take the place of God and to judge my neighbor? Do you, do you know what the essence of pride is? The essence of pride is deicide, killing God, replacing God. The Garden of Eden saw the ultimate coup, the ultimate rebellion. Not just tearing up the rule book and chucking it on the floor, but wanting to replace the one who gave it. What was the temptation? You will be like God. I wonder if you remember the, the story from a few years ago. There was the actor Kevin Spacey who was on a private tour of Buckingham Palace. Did you see this in the papers? On that private tour, Kevin Spacey allegedly, when he was shown the throne room, rushed up and posed, sat on the throne, the empty throne, and posed for pictures of himself on Her Majesty's throne. A staggering breach of royal protocol. And what did Kevin Spacey have as he, as he spied that throne? He had haughty eyes, raised eyes. What did, what did Adam and Eve possess in the garden as they tasted the forbidden fruit? They had rising eyes. We are here and you are there, God, but we want what you have. And God hates it. God hates it when his glory is taken and shared with another so there's the three things to see. Here's three applications for us. Number one, 
Only the gospel of grace will change our words. Only the gospel of grace will change our words. Look again at chapter 4, verse 6. He gives more grace. Who is the only person with the right to judge your neighbor? Who, who can judge your neighbor? God. Who is the only person with the right to judge you? God. And yet, what has God done with you? What has He done with me? What does He give? More grace. How has God treated me as my sins deserve? No, He's treated me with love. Think of all the ways God could have spoken against me. He's a God of truth, isn't He? He can't speak evil. He can only say what is true. Okay, but what if God here today was to put up on this screen on the wall behind me everything that was true about, not everything that was false about me, what if He was to put everything that is true about me on display? Much of it, most of it would be speaking against me, wouldn't it? And yet it's just truth, All, all my thoughts, all my sins, all my pride, there it is, all spoken out loud, and it would be a crushing weight to bear. Now, friends, here is the gospel of grace. God does not speak about us in humiliating ways to others ever. Isn't that amazing? He does not speak about us in humiliating ways to others ever. No, he, he, he covers over our offenses. He has a, a bottomless sea of grace and mercy. All our sins and offenses are taken to Calvary and punished in His Son, the Lord Jesus. Paid for, done away, and He buries them in an ocean of forgetfulness. He gives grace to humble, penitent sinners. The judge becomes a savior, a friend, a brother. And here we are, people who have received that from Him, and what do we do to one another? We take our neighbor's sins and we pick through them one by one and speak them out loud to other people. And we rejoice in taking other people's dirty laundry and hanging it out for all the world to see. James says, just who do we think we are, judge or brothers? Our friends, we make such poor judges, don't we? We are, we are harsh critics. We are unforgiving, unforgiving neighbors. Think about how God speaks about us. Look at Ezekiel chapter 16 sometime. Remember that beautiful description of God choosing Israel? He d- describes Israel as being like an infant kicking around in her own blood and mess, and He takes her and washes her and dresses her and and raises her until she is of age to be married to Him. Oh, what do we do to people who are sinful and dirty and messy? We, we just push against them somehow. God is so different. Application number two, watch your words. Watch your words. Take your words to God. Number two, watch your words. Somebody has worked out that on average, we speak 25,000 words a day. Isn't that incredible? I've got three members of my household. I'm sure double that. Um, my, my, my poor wife, you know, the other day, she's, we've got two girls, two boys, and they're as stereotypically male and female as you could get. She gets everything from her daughters and nothing from her sons. And she said she had our eldest son 
Um, he's 14. He said, she had him alone for 10 minutes, and he was, they were talking. She said, Archie, tell me something about, tell me something about your soul today. How, how are you? And she said she could see the confusion on his face. And he sort of looked at the floor, and then he said, I'm really hungry. <laughs> She's like, right, okay. So we get loads of words in our family from some members and hardly any words from somebody else. But most of us, through a day, speak about 25,000 words a day. How many of those words are against someone? How many of them are against? Be really interesting to weigh it somehow, to, f- to, to pour your words through a filter somehow and see what comes out. I wonder if we'd be surprised. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 18, telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with an arrow. It's kind of like a hammer, isn't it? There it is, God's Word, James chapter 4, telling us straight, we can do grievous bodily harm with our words. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands. Here's where we take all the shortcuts in the world, isn't it? We get so used to sharing a bed and a home and a house and a life and the chores of life with somebody, and we just slip into speaking against someone. Young children in a church, young folks, teenagers, how many of their words are against their parents? It's what, it's what, what happens, isn't it? All the action here in James is in a family. Brothers is his word. He keeps using the family word, brothers, 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 all the way through the letter. And in a family, that's where you end up speaking against each other, isn't it? It's so easy to be a growing Christian teenager, to be, to be, to, to be growing in grace, but neglect spiritual graces with your own family your own sister, your own brother, your own parents. It's just, it's just mom and dad. I can speak against them however I like. What about parents to our children? Those of you who are parents, friends, do not sit above God's law in our words that we give to our children. Give our children God's law never less than that, but be gentle with it and kind with it and wise with it. Here's a third application, all to do with these verses. Let's be extremely careful on social media. Let's be extremely careful on social media. I don't know what it is, but there is something about Twitter, isn't there, that feeds that word against, against. You know the thing about Twitter? Twitter means that never before have so many people with so little to say said so much to so few. Isn't that right? And there's something about it. It just presses your button. You want to, that's rubbish. That's not right. You want to click, say something. And we've, if you're on social media in any form, we've all done it, haven't we? Said something that is a quick reaction. And it is very, very hard to love our neighbors as ourselves on social media because you don't see them as real people. You see them as a name, as a, an irritation, a, a different point of view that you don't agree with. Proverbs chapter 18, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. 
He who saves his tweets in his drafts folder and then deletes them the next day is wise. Application number four, when the Bible forbids one thing, it promotes its opposite. When the Bible forbids one thing, it promotes its opposite. I can't remember uh, where I learned this from. I think it might have been Kevin DeYoung, a talk that, that he gave somewhere. I, I, and all of a sudden, I realized how astonishingly beautiful this is. Think about the commandments. Do not murder means love life. Lead me not into temptation means, dear Heavenly Father, lead me into righteousness. Do not commit adultery means that the opposite is commanded, to cherish faithfulness. So think about it here. When the Bible forbids one thing, it promotes its opposite. Do not speak evil against one another. What is it doing? It is promoting the opposite of speaking against. Speak for someone with someone, to someone. One of the best examples of this kind of understanding that when the Bible forbids one thing, it promotes its opposite. One of the richest places you will find for this is the the Westminster Confession of Faith, the larger catechism on the Ten Commandments. Here's the ninth commandment of of the Decalogue, okay? Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Okay, that's the commandment. That's what you should not do, bear false witness against your neighbor. And in a really remarkable way, with this and all the commandments, the catechism climbs inside what those words mean. Okay, here's question 144 and an answer in the larger catechism. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What are the duties required in that ninth commandment? Okay, you ready? The duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and the promoting of truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor as well as our own, appearing and standing for the truth, and from the heart sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice and in all things whatsoever. A charitable esteem of our neighbors is required loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities. Isn't that amazing? What are the duties required in the ninth commandment? To sorrow for and to cover the infirmities of my neighbor. Freely acknowledging their gifts and graces, defending their innocency, readily receiving of them a good report unwillingness to admit an evil report concerning them, discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanderers, love and care of our own good name and defending it, keeping of lawful promises, studying and practicing of whatever, so, of whatever soever things are true, honest, lovely, and of good report. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? When the Bible forbids one thing. Friends, don't, don't draw the line there. When you're preaching this and teaching this, climb inside the opposite of speaking evil against somebody. Proverbs chapter 16, gracious words. So, words that are not against are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The soothing tongue is a tree of life. 
Isn't that amazing? The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Isn't it amazing how often good words are connected to good eating? Well, the, the, the main image in the book of Proverbs is, the first half of the book of Proverbs is dame folly and lady wisdom. And both these women are inviting you to a feast, aren't they? That's the way the, the opening chapters of Proverbs work. They're both saying to you, come and eat with me. Come and eat my words. And one lady leads you to hell and to death. Another lady leads you to life and to righteousness. James is asking us this morning in chapter 4, verse 11, who is getting nourished at my table? The, the table that I'm spreading with my words. Number five, I think I said three applications. I'm still going. I'm on number five. This is the last one. What are you going to change about your words? Okay, I, I'm now the welcome team member at the door as you leave. How are you going to work out humility in your life? What is it going to look like? Maybe there's a relationship that's been broken by speaking against, and you need to go from here today and put that relationship right by changing your speech. Who are you going to speak about in new ways, gracious ways, forgiving ways. I, I was talking about, talking about this with somebody just very, very, very recently. Encouragement is everything, isn't it? And in ministry, encouragement is absolutely everything. You, you, you will know nothing. You, you can cope with criticism, cope with what, what, whatever the range of problems that are on, you know, feeling overworked, exhausted, pastoral problems, heavy, heavy preaching load. You can cope with all of that if you feel encouraged, can't you? You know that. N nothing is harder to handle in ministry than discouragement. Who are you going to encourage today? Send a text, an email, a tweet of all things, an encouraging tweet, imagine that. Maybe this morning looking at this, maybe you simply cannot believe that God takes the truth about you and lets Jesus pay for it all in His death on the cross. Maybe, that, maybe that's all you need to, to do today, to be simply amazed, to simply wonder, to simply adore God for His grace. That is all the application you need. That, that can be life-giving, can't it? to simply be amazed that God has treat, treated me like that. For humility comes from there, doesn't it? Humility comes from seeing the grace of God to us in Jesus. We will never change our words without killing our pride. And you cannot kill pride while staying at a distance from Christ. Have any of you ever heard of the, uh, the incredible events that happen uh, at a funeral service for the, the Haps, von Habsburg families. Have any of you seen this? You can see it on YouTube. You can find this. Uh, the funeral service that takes place within this royal line, this, this aristocracy line, teaches us what humility looks like in the most astonishing way. So the last time this happened, 2011, the remains of the last crown prince of Austria, Otto von Habsburg, they were, they were carried to the imperial crypt 
of a cloister in Vienna, and he is carried there to lie with his ancestors. And at the funeral procession, funeral procession of every member of the imperial royal family, there's a dialogue that takes place at the entrance of the cloister. So the master of the ceremonies, as, as they carry the coffin to, uh, to the chapel, the master of the ceremonies knocks on the door three times, and on the inside, the prior says, who desires entry? And the master of ceremony says, Otto of Austria, once crown prince of Austria-Hungary, royal prince of Hungary and Bohemia, of Dalmatia, Croatia, Slavonia, Galicia, Lodomeria, and Illyria, grand duke of Tuscany and Krakow, and friends, this goes on for paragraphs and paragraphs, princely count of Habsburg and Tyrol, lord of Triest, Kotor, and Windich March, grand Vovid, and all these other names I've never heard of, the prior replies at the end of that paragraph, we do not know him. The master of ceremonies knocks three times again. Who desires entry? Otto von Habsburg, president and honorary president of the Pan-European Union, member and president of the European Parliament, honorary doctor of many universities, honorary citizen of many cities in Central Europe, member of numerous venerable academies and institutes, recipient of high civil and ecclesiastical honors, awards and medals. We do not know him. The master of ceremonies knocks three more times. Who desires entry? This time, the master of ceremonies says, Otto, a mortal and sinful man. The prior says, then let him come in. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? It is such, such a picture of the letter of James. Who does God welcome? Who does He invite? People who live like this, who know themselves like this, who are before the Lord like this. Brothers and sisters, so may it be for us, for me, for you, and for those that we minister to and lead and teach. So may God help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are before you together, knowing that you and you alone know the truth about us, and so together we treasure and thank you and adore you for your grace. Thank you that you have never done to us what we so often are guilty of doing about others. You do not publish all that is wrong and offensive and shameworthy of who we are, but rather you cover it all in the blood of your Son. Oh, how we long to be humble men and women, those who treasure your grace in every part of our lives, and particularly, gracious Father, we have been thinking about our speech. Help us, we pray, to sow life, to sow a harvest of righteousness with who we are through our words. I want to pray for each of the churches represented here. You know the tensions, the struggles the words that are either doing great damage or that have potential for bringing great life. Be merciful, I pray, and hear our prayers for one another. May our fellowships be places where humility grows and where you and you alone exalt. And so hear us, we ask, as we pray in Christ's precious name.
Amen. Nima.